If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be erratically fruitful and weirs high. In this episode... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was... Wow. You want to take that one again? Not really. Okay. We find some answers to how can we reframe most GM mistakes as opportunities? Ooh. And what can we do to get back on track after we make actual mistakes? (laughs) Just keep rolling. And is there a new horror tabletop role-playing game that'll give me new ways to freak out my players? Maybe. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So have you ever done something as a DM that you knew you screwed something up big time? And then you're sitting there in it, and you look up, and you see 12 eyes on you, and you start to get the sweats... And you start to, your brain goes blank and your bladder fills up and you say, break time, got to go bathroom. <laughs> and then <laughs> Just make up some, some excuse. Yeah. My aunt is texting me. I have to go now. <laughs> I must get out of this room so I can think for a second. Well, uh, without diving into too much of the existential dread that I just live in every day, uh, every game that I play, I go... Ah, man, I've fucked that one up. Hope no one noticed. So what we've learned to do is just move through the (laughs) (laughs) fuck-ups. Well, I think we all have really good examples of this. We could probably summarize this whole episode as just, you're doing the best you can. Yeah. You're trying. You're making mistakes. And if you're not making mistakes, then you're not trying hard enough. And you're not necessarily learning, so keep making mistakes. But how do we move on from those mistakes? How do we keep rolling? What practical thing can we do to just keep moving forward? And to me, it's just having that quick conversation with yourself about, okay, it's fine. What can we do next? And I know you and I both have great examples of times that we've really screwed the pooch. We've really messed up. So And it can feel irreparable when you do it in a game. I'm never coming back to this. Uh, I guess we cancel the game forevermore, and these people are no longer my friends. (laughs) I can't face them again. Pretty much. Well, what was the biggest that you ever made? The biggest mess up? Well, the one that comes to mind from one of my campaigns was when I had first uh, discovered the super powerful artifacts that exist in D&D. And as a new DM, you're like, oh, yeah, that's got some juice to it. It's funny that there's always a moment where you're flipping through the book and you're just like, oh, that's neat. That's neat. That's also neat. And then there's always a moment where you go, oh, I can use these. These could be in my game. I can actually put this item in my game. That sounds cool. But it's almost like a trap that D&D is setting for you. (laughs) Don't use these in your game. So yeah, I had a a group of like level five players going through the Underdark 
and there was demon lords involved in this campaign. So I thought, okay, well, let's throw in the staff of Orcus to the story and have them transport it to somewhere safer and figure out what they can do with it. But not touch it. Yes. Because if you touch the staff of Orcus, you are immediately forced to make a ridiculous save or die immediately. And even if you make the save, you take like 50 damage. Yeah, you take so many dice. I forget. Yeah, it's crazy. But so I thought nobody will touch it because I'll warn them that it's very dangerous. (laughs) But of course, my players were idiots as so many are. One died. One got immediately discombobulated and ripped from the reality of the world. Yeah, turned into dust. And I thought, okay, well, we lost a character, but now things can move forward. Nope. Second character reaches (laughs) forward. (laughs) I'm going to do a TPK by just leaving a stick in their path. And by all logic and probability, a level five character both made the save and absorbed all of the damage that was coming to them with one hit point left over. Yep. So they didn't get dusted. And uh, all of a sudden, they had all the powers of Orcus. You have a level five that can raise an undead army (laughs) that can create five (laughs) new skeletons every time they blink. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) There was like no limit to their undead powers, essentially. And I had no idea what to do with that now. I did not plan for that, for it to actually be used by a party member. Well, and if I'm not incorrect, uh, that mistake actually could have contributed to the downfall of that campaign. We actually had to stop playing shortly after that. Yes. So that's a big challenge, and we want to figure out how to avoid stuff like that. How do you avoid letting your campaign unravel at the seams because you have a a god weapon in the mix? Yeah, or uh, or one of the many other mistakes that you just don't know what to do with. I do recall my biggest mistake, and I don't I don't think any of the players noticed. But in the moment, I recall going, oh, man, I really screwed up on this one. And that was when I threw in a fire elemental, uh, a massive primordial 200-foot-tall mega weapon in the form of a small iron flask that was being handed off like it was a a weapon of mass destruction, and I never expected you guys to ever interact with it just like you did, kind of transport it from one place to another. Cool story, MacGuffin. Yeah, it was just a a MacGuffin until one of the players decided, well, I'll break this open. And then I went, oh, I didn't consider this. This now completely derailed my campaign. We had something else. It wasn't even a MacGuffin. Like it wasn't driving the story forward. It was just a it was a set piece. It was a it was an item in a space that really was not meant to be interacted with. And then all of a sudden it threw out my next three and a half months of planning because as soon as that was released, that took over the campaign. Yeah. We obviously had to follow the lead of a fire elemental being released into the world. Couldn't ignore that. Yeah. All of a sudden, giant politics really did not hold that much interest as a fire elemental. (laughs) (laughs) Burninating the countryside. (laughs) So, yes, we're talking about making mistakes and how to fix them. And in the strategy stateroom, we've got a simple mental exercise to bring you out of most of those problem states. And then the solutions we've come up with 
for some of the more common issues. We've made them all. Yes, and we continue to make them. <laughs> I shall never stop. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, so when you run into any kind of a problem, I think there's a few quick steps you can take to pull yourself out of that problem. All right. And the first step is to get everyone on the same page before the problem erupts. The second is when it does erupt, determine if it's actually a mistake or just something you can work with. Okay. And the third, if it is actually a mistake, just undo the effect caused by the mistake. Well, one of my observations is that those steps sound surprisingly simple. So maybe you can take <laughs> me through those in a little bit more depth. Because I'm sure it's not just as easy as undo the effect. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let's dive in. So part one, get everyone on the same page. What does that entail in your view? Well, to me, it starts with, of course, if you're doing a campaign or anything longer, a session zero where you establish that you're not the world's best dungeon master, that you're still in a learning process as well. And if we can agree that everyone's in a learning process, then we can respect each other when we make mistakes. We're not trying to hold each other on these pedestals and catch each other when we're making mistakes. Well, the game of D&D &D kind of sets up that premise. So you're kind of working against that. You've got this all-powerful dungeon master and then the lowly pitiful players <laughs> who are there to absorb your stories. I control you. And that's already kind of doing a disservice to what we're really trying to do there, which is we're all trying to engage and entertain one another. Encourage each other down whatever paths they're going and stuff like that. And if you're a player, believe it or not, you're entertaining the DM. <laughs> so everyone's entertaining each other. Everyone's in it together to tell a cool story. And then in putting yourself on that equal level as the players, you also want to ask for feedback. This is such an important point in that if we're going to ever grow, we need to not only receive feedback, analyze what we're doing, and then decide on a different path or some different changes that we can implement in our next game. And if we're not doing that, we're not learning and we're not growing. Right. So asking for feedback is absolutely critical. And it can come in the form of something as simple as, hey, what was your favorite part? What felt the best to you as players? And now all of a sudden, you have a little bit of a dialogue going where you can pick up on a few key phrases that people say, oh, that combat was really intense. Uh, the setup, it felt dire. And asking those feelings is really what we're trying to get at. What did you feel during these moments? I felt pressure. And I liked that. It felt very uh, dramatic. Cool. And you like that? Great. I'll start working on more dramatic scenarios to try to uh, create those environments. And of course, the flip side is also true. If you've got players that are actually looking to improve the experience, asking what was your least favorite part? Well, honestly, it was kind of, I didn't know what to do when we were left alone in the manor. Didn't, didn't yeah. know what direction to go. Okay, so maybe a little more story direction next time. I can, I can work with that. Totally. And the players are not exempt from this. Asking other players for feedback on your character 
how do you think my character is coming across right now? This is a really interesting exercise that you can do if you're a player with other players is just what is the core of my character and what kind of vibes is this character giving off? And they might not be what you intend. This is kind of like that exercise in like personal growth, except we're twisting it and in a weird way, we're using it for fictional characters. But having other people's perceptions of you versus your perception of you and what you're thinking that you're putting out there could be completely different. So if your character is supposed to have uh, kind of a strong, you know, you're a paladin, you're brave, you're confident, all of these other things, well, your actions in the game might not really be conveying that. So it's always a good way to kind of check in and recognize where you could potentially be playing those up. Or the classic, your character is supposed to be a brooding type, but nobody knows that because you're just quiet. You just seem quiet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just silent for the entire game. Yeah. Oh, cool. And I want to make the point that I think even the most experienced DMs can approach a game this way, and it's going to make for a better experience and for more learning because nobody's done learning how to be a DM. When you've got a DM that knows their way and enforces their way at the expense of any other ways to play that are presented at the table, I don't think that's a great DM. <laughs> you don't say. Well, to your point, we all have to actively learn how to play this game better because none of us took D&D &D as an elective in high school unless you went to a really cool high school. Dang. If you did, tell us where. Where was that? And then I'll do like a, a Drew Barrymore thing where you go back and you pretend to be a high school student. Cool. Let's I think both that's do just it. weird. Nah. <laughs> but we do have to own our own learning and get everyone on the same page, set that expectation for what the game is, set the expectation that we're going to constantly try to improve this story as we're playing it. It's kind of like building the car as you drive it. It's a little crazy, it's a little hectic, but boy is it ever rewarding when you successfully do that and everyone is kind of in sync with one another as you're leading up to fight the big bad evil guy at the very end and... Wow, what an experience, but that can only be done consciously or by a very long shot chance. <laughs> and I would rather do it consciously and push everyone towards that goal. Because then you've got a car that everyone's super comfortable in. And it's probably a Lamborghini. <laughs> probably. It's a six-seater Lamborghini. with. <laughs> I think it does have to be custom built every time you enter a game with new people. Like flexibility and adaptability are some of the skills that I work on hardest as a DM because I know that'll make the best experience for everybody at the table. Like no two games should ever be alike. Fair in, enough. In my perspective. I think this is something that I need to personally work on because I definitely have my brand of DMing. And that's fine. But like you say, if you're playing different games, you're going to get different players. And those different players are going to have different expectations. So yes, definitely have your brand and have your approach to storytelling. That's what you're bringing to the table. But being flexible enough to be able to tell a different story and to include the kinds of fun that the people at the table want to have is a very, very powerful skill. Absolutely. Moving on, part two. Determine if it's actually a mistake or it's something maybe a little less drastic. Yeah, I think the first part of this for me is dropping my ego. Because if you're the only one that sees that mistake, 
it's probably not a mistake. When I learn guitar and when I see other people learning instruments, there's always this mindset of like, oh, I'm going to play this song. I've never played it for people. And you start playing and you miss a note and then you stop and say, I'm sorry, I screwed that up, everybody. Let me start again. Nobody cared. Yeah. Nobody would have mentioned that you missed a single note. And when you're listening to somebody do that, all you're thinking is, oh, that's that's fine. You're learning an instrument. That's super cool. Good for you. Yeah. You missed a note. Whatever. Keep on trucking. And this feels a little bit different when you are DMing, because I think when you're playing an instrument for a group of people, there's this expectation that you entertain. And with DMs, you're doing exactly the same thing. And there are kind of two reactions that you wind up with. It's either that reaction of stopping and going, oh, shit, I screwed up. I didn't do that right. Or there's the I'm going to try and move past this and hope nobody noticed and try to sweep this under the rug. If anybody calls me out on it, I'm going to get really defensive (laughs) and I'm going to say, no, I'm the DM and you listen to me and ah, shit. And now all of a sudden, you've got this weird dynamic that's happening at the table. So I don't know. How do we really combat that? And I think, you know, your suggestion of just dropping the ego, letting it go so that we can all learn from mistakes and we can just own it in the moment, too. Yeah. So this is actually a magic dagger that kind of cuts both ways. (laughs) The players can often be the ones to make mistakes as well. And not just owning up to some of the mistakes that we make being open to retconning stuff that has been established in the game saying, that doesn't really work with my character. Can I take that again? Like, that's okay. Not being satisfied with a particular encounter with an NPC or somebody else within the party and not being able to just stop and say, you know what? I think this would be better. Can we take that again? Weirdly enough, that's totally okay. You're playing a fantasy imagination game. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. So not doing this means that we create this environment where everyone, including the DM and the players, are all afraid to make mistakes. What's really interesting about that to me is that that conditions an environment where players are afraid to roll low. They're afraid to say the wrong thing in character. And it seems like if I miss a swing or I miss a hit on a particular monster that I have failed. And that's, I think the two kind of contribute one to the other of having these egos, uh, being afraid to make mistakes in front of your friends, wanting to be the best. And then all of a sudden, you're really disappointed and angry if you if your character rolls low and now all of a sudden we're dice shaming, we're banning and we're we're melting those <laughs> dice down because they've failed us. And it's the failures, that's the interesting bit, both in the story and in the growth of you as a player or a DM. So yeah, seeing most mistakes as something to be embraced, celebrated, and rolled with to see what happens after it from all perspectives, yeah. And this is almost big enough to be its own episode, but if the players do something you hadn't planned for, that's not a mistake, that's a feature, not a bug. (laughs) Uh... That's a a statement that I totally relate to, yeah. When the players take it in a different direction, that means that's kind of the area that they're interested in. And this can sometimes, like it did with me, and the example of the fire elemental that all of a sudden completely changed my campaign, I wish in that moment that I had future me standing over my shoulder saying, just roll with it. Yeah. 
the players are less interested in giant politics, go figure, than they are <laughs> in this massive, crazy, uh, terrifying baddie that's looming over the horizon and burning countrysides. They want to take that down. Just go with it. And guess what? Even though it's going to be a lot simpler to just have them chase the fire elemental, it's okay. Even yeah. though you, you've you got all this stuff planned for the giant politics, they, nobody wanted that. This, without going too aside from our topic, this is really what you and I are trying to do with a lot of our uh, resources that are in our the resources section on our website, is we're trying to create an environment uh, where there are simple resources that can help you whip stories together really quickly and easily, rather than feeling like you've invested 30 hours in the story that happens after this point that you're going to be robbed of if you allow flexibility. Exactly. And I've learned the hard way. I hope you don't have to as well. <laughs> so that's why we're kind of doing this is because there's so much opportunity in what players want to go and do. So let's just go keep and do it. Loose, it. Keep it flowing. <laughs> And the last point before we get into what actually defines a mistake that you have to fix is to keep perspective. So in the setting of Dungeons and Dragons, mistakes carry very little weight. Like if everyone respects each other, the worst thing you're going to lose is some time or a moment of disappointment. You're not going to lose somebody in a scuba diving accident or you're not <laughs> performing heart surgery on a baby squirrel. It's okay. <laughs> wow, that is dire. <laughs> no, to go back to your example of the staff of Orcus, to fix that whole scenario would be just a quick sit down with the player to say, hey, I probably should have anticipated you actually making that save. Do you mind if we retcon some of the abilities. I'll still give you the staff, but there's some abilities that I want to counter just because I'm afraid that they're going to rob of some of the fun. Yeah. And that's an okay conversation to have. If I'm not mistaken, you actually had that conversation with the player to say, hey, can we back off on some of these abilities? Maybe you're not strong enough to wield the full power. You found some different ways around that very challenging scenario. Yeah heavily modified the staff so that it, it had a lot of drawbacks, but a lot of strengths as well, yeah. but not the full strength of undead armies. So let's go through some of the scenarios that we can run into, because, you know, to your earlier point, we have to determine whether or not something is a mistake or if we can just kind of move past it. Right. And so this is a list of the underlying issue that a mistake causes. So if it doesn't cause one of these things, it's really not a mistake you got to fix. Okay, I'm curious. So does it create drastic unbalance between player characters? I feel like this is almost a Jeff Foxworthy bit. You might have a mistake <laughs> if it... Oh, Lordy. <laughs> Can we not turn into Jeff Foxworthy, please? <laughs> All right, what else? Does it stop gameplay or severely slow it down? Hmm. I've introduced plenty of encounters that I thought would be really cool, and they were not. Or a classic example of this, too, is like, do you think they have the information they need to move forward, but they're just standing in a field like, what are we doing here? <laughs> and you're thinking, there's a magic tower over there. Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell them about the magic tower. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Does it kill characters unfairly? 
And we have talked about this in depth in our character death episode. Yes. But that's something you got to fix if you just wipe somebody out with a rando trap. That one causes so much DM guilt, and I feel bad for every DM who has ever felt like something that they initiated or created within the game unfairly killed a character. I feel that in my core, but it is not undoable. You should definitely go listen to that episode if you've dealt with that. Yeah, because even if the player makes a new character, the same thing could happen again, unless you address it. Yeah. So they're not invested in the new character. Anyways, next, does it remove player agency? And that's kind of a vague term, but are you limiting what they can do or are you expanding what they can do? Limiting what they can do is removing their agency. Yeah, there is a lot of different magical effects. We actually talked about this on our Discord in very brief terms just this morning about the subtle shift between imposing disadvantage on a player versus just shifting it to a different kind of uh, mechanic or interest. So disadvantage is kind of just removing their ability to go crazy skilled. And that's kind of what a lot of players are here to do. They're here to feel powerful. Whereas instead, we could potentially just shift that idea to uh, a different condition. You are going to itch for the next 24 hours. It doesn't have any effect on the game per se, but we can involve a couple of little role-playing things or whatever the case may be. So we can still let the players be whoever their character is without kind of taking or limiting who they are. And what they're good at and what makes them special. Yeah. And finally, pretty much the most important in my mind and what everything else boils down to, does it cause one or more people at the table to not enjoy the experience? It's just that easy? Yeah. And if you're not sure, (laughs) if you don't know if somebody's enjoying it or not, just ask them. I mean, we all have these great chat platforms. We've got a million different ways of communicating. If you're uncomfortable in one, I'm sure there's another one. But just sitting down and having that conversation can be so, so liberating and powerful. Yeah. So I encourage you to do it. And part three, undoing the undesired effect if it's been determined to be a mistake. All right. Easy peasy. Is it? (laughs) Well, it really doesn't seem like it, and I didn't think it was for a very long time until I kind of considered what you need to do. And yes, it can still be a little bit uncomfortable sometimes, but at least when you know what you got to do, you can just get through it. Okay. Take us through your steps. Once you've identified the mistake, you can do one of two things. You can undo the effect through gameplay... So, like, if a character dies in a truly unjustified way, let's say you dropped uh, Indiana Jones boulder on them, but you didn't drop it ahead of them. You just dropped it straight on them. You gave them no warning. (laughs) They didn't get to outrun it. (laughs) They just, man, that movie would have been real short. (laughs) Instead of rolling down the channel, just creates a smear. Indie smear. (laughs) And and then there's the hat. And the hand just (laughs) clutching the hat from underneath the boulder. Roll credits. Then we just stay one solid shot for an hour 45 of the boulder. (laughs) Somebody comes along, picks up the hat, dusts it off. (laughs) That's the teaser for the next movie. Yes. That'll be good. But yeah, so that's going to (laughs) make whoever's playing Indiana Jones very unhappy. 
Sorry, I took us on a weird tangent there. <laughs> I apologize. Right. I like them. That was a mistake. <laughs> and I fixed it. <laughs> but to undo that in gameplay, you don't have to have them make a new character because of your mistake. I mean, we're living in a world of magic. So, you know, you could have a powerful wizard up ahead that suffered the same fate, but maybe they want to repent for their sins before they die. And they're they're just about off of this mortal plane. So they tell the party they can cast one revivify spell if you tell their family of how great they were as they died. And I don't know if you need to specifically hear this. And I always apologize for using this triple word score word. But there are a lot of folks out there that feel like this kind of interaction destroys the verisimilitude of the game or that realism, that feel of a real living, breathing world. And there would be times that I would absolutely agree with you. Having uh, just destroyed a character and having a wizard who just happens to be the next person that they pass on the road uh, able to cast a spell that brings this person back, you go... Well, what are the odds of that? Is that really realistic? No. And here's the thing. Who gives a shit? We are playing in a game where there are dragons and wizards and uh, little tentacly face suckers. Who cares? Because if you're breaking that realism for your own purposes, the players aren't going to like it. But if you're breaking it for theirs, they're going to celebrate because that character's not dead. Exactly. And it's for the benefit of the entire table. It's for the fun and the enjoyment. So there are certain characters that you should absolutely kill when it's cool with the character. There are characters that I have that I know are doomed to die because I built them that way, because that was kind of their intent, is that they are tragic characters who will actually complete their full character life cycle by dying horribly in some dungeon somewhere. <laughs> However, there are others that our players are truly and excellently attached to. And maybe that really random double crit that you just rolled that felled them and nobody could get to them before their death saves and they rolled... Like, sometimes you just have to say, no, this isn't happening today. There's a magical wizard up the road. You move on. You make everyone happy. That's your job as a player and as a DM. And I know, like you're kind of saying, I know that there's lots of people that are going to say, let the dice roll where they may. This is terrible advice. But all advice is situational. (laughs) Use it when you want to. Fair enough. The second way that you can undo your mistake is stepping outside of the game for a moment. Stop play, explain what you've done and that you're learning and change it outside of gameplay. So like in that same example, stop the game and explain, you know, I thought that'd be a good trap, but I'm realizing some of the ways mechanics work in D&D and that was a really shitty way to go. (laughs) So if you're cool with it, let's just pretend that particular trap wasn't there. Sorry, pals. I'll make better traps in the future. Let's continue with this dungeon and make it cool. And if you're someone that needs to hear this, try it. Just try it. Just try it once and see what you think. If you're a player at the table and you've made a mistake for your character, try just stopping the game and saying, hey, can I take that again? And if you're a DM, just even if you don't think it went over particularly poorly, just to find out what happens, that the world does not in fact crumble and that the players do not lose all faith in your storytelling ability and that the fantasy world that you've constructed does not unravel by its very fabric and fibers 
just try doing it for shits and giggles to see what happens. And I guarantee you, everything will be just fine. <laughs> Players will go, fuck, yeah, that sounds great. Let's take that again. Let's do it better this time. Yeah. What if this happened? <laughs> this will be more fun. And if you are sitting at a table with a bunch of people that are going to judge you harshly for that, then, I mean, I probably wouldn't have continued fun at that table. <laughs> no, that would not be the table for me. Yeah. Different strokes. For sure. All right. So at this point <laughs> in the podcast, you might be thinking, okay, but like I started listening to this because I've got a specific mistake. Tell me how to fix it, you couple of bumbling oafs. <laughs> just keep talking. <laughs> you're going to just jabber jaw, but you're not going to give me the real meat. Yeah. So here's some of the most common mistakes we've run into in D&D and just some fun ideas that you can take to fix them. All right, so scenario number one, weapon that could cast super-powered earthquake spell powers. <laughs> well, yeah, there's few situations that an, earth, that an earthquake makes better. I've literally done this before. I've given a player a, a wand that could just cast shatter at like a crazy level, and I went, oh, no, I've made a mistake. Yeah. How do we fix it? Big ol' F up. So, first, resist the urge to just have an NPC steal it. You don't want to rob things from your players. Or have them, like, break with no apparent reason. Yeah. Don't just, like, remove it quickly, because that feels kind of rough as a player. They'll feel cheated, and at that point, it's better to just use our option B from earlier and have an out-of-game conversation. But what you can do is have the character unable to wield such power quite yet. You can... Take a look at whatever super-powered magical item you've given them in-game and make it scalable. Break it into the levels and then give them a chunk of it each level up. Yeah, if it's not world-ending, then you can still have that nice sit-down convo and go, I'm still going to give you this. Yeah. I'm just going to give you this over time. Your player is going to learn to use and wield this awesome power, and there will be an eventuality. We all look at our 20th or 18th level abilities and go, damn, I'm going to be a super badass when that time comes. We never get to play to <laughs> level 20. Admit it. How many characters do you have that are actually that level? Because I'm a stingy ass DM with level ups. <laughs> <laughs> he does not get about a lot of experience points. You can also make the item upon closer inspection to need some work before it's fully functional. Oh, that's a cool idea. If you're playing a game that's open to side quests, that's a great way to have them go on a little journey. Or you could have a powerful NPC offer the characters something that they might value even more, but won't have that same overpowering effect that unscales the players. That's a really neat idea, and that's why you need NPCs that the party cares about so that some random big bad can kidnap one of those NPCs and say, you know what I've always wanted? A wand of earthquakes. Give it to me and I'll give you your there you go, precious niece. Or, you know, having characters that have meaningful goals is also a, a really powerful part of this puzzle because if you then have an NPC offer a character their goal or a, a huge step towards it in exchange for that magic item, they might just take it. You know it. So what about an off-balance encounter, like an encounter with a 500-foot-tall fire elemental? Whew, that's toasty. Well, uh, you could have the fire elemental make a huge ring of fire around the party and capture them. You know, if the party insists on chasing it and fighting it, then turn it into a prison scenario, which we've done many times, and it 
as much as I think like, oh, I've, I've done this with these same people, <laughs> they always seem to enjoy it. Yeah. It's always a good adventure. It's better than dying. I think we look at a lot of D&D monsters as there only being one outcome, the death of the players or the death of the monster. Right. And that's simply not true. When you're dealing with the smart enemies, we're talking prisons. But when you're dealing with like the creepy monsters, we're talking string them up by webs from the ceiling. Like there's a lot of different concepts of a prison that you can work with depending on the enemy. Sure. Of course, you can also have the creature fight to a smaller percentage of their hit points and then flee because as Jordan, when I'm like half alive, I usually don't want to get stabbed again. <laughs> have you ever been half alive? You're like, oh, damn. Uh, you know, I better finish my mail route because I'm half alive. I better keep going at this. Do what I'm doing. Good God. No, you go home. <laughs> Call in. I go home when I get a scratch. Yeah. When I have an upset tum-tum. I, think you're... I leave work. <laughs> I don't keep trying to hack at the adventurers. I think you took the day off early because your finger hurt the other day. <laughs> yeah. You can allow the party to find their weakness. Like if it's an enemy that's not absolutely crucial to the story and you just whoopsied a super powerful creature and things are not going the party's way, just expose a weakness. That fire elemental's eyes start glowing as you take down some HP. I was going to say exactly that. This is one area that we can borrow mechanics from video games yeah. and just show with a very, very quick roll. Like, hey, players, roll an investigation check. You notice that there is one area with a missing scale and smog is weak <laughs> there. That's exactly what Tolkien did. He was just exposing a weak spot because he knew that he created a monster that was unkillable by the average citizen. Yeah. You could also let the party find something environmental that'll help as a weakness, like a teetering pillar or a loose chandelier or a raging river. Like This makes it so that the players are still conquering the enemy just in a creative way rather than a how many times does it take me to stick this thing with my dagger kind of way? See, I love that so much because you don't even have to rob the players of their final uh, death swing. But if you collapse the roof on the big bad that you're worried about your players being able to kill, uh, that does the majority of their damage. The player that made the shot feels like a badass and super smart and mega situationally aware. And then, of course, you still get the paladin who, when the monster comes and starts to crawl out of the rubble very dramatically, the paladin still gets to walk in there and take the final swing. And now everyone feels like they've still bested that monster. Yeah. That you were like, oh shit, it still has 200 hit points <laughs> and they've got two party members down. Exactly. It can feel like a glorious moment still. What if a monster is too weak? Well, this one's a lot simpler to me because... If it's the first time you've done this, you can just describe how epically the party destroyed that enemy. And I guarantee you, the players are going to have fun with that. Like if you've created an underpowered encounter for them, it's fine. Just run through it and let them decimate. A lot of D&D &D is about contrast. And I used to do this with you guys in our game is I would do one to three encounters where you could just mop the floor 
just after a level up too. It was always a great way to test your abilities is to come across a group of bandits. Yeah. Even though you were on the tier of fighting dragons, you were still coming and finding bandits that were harassing some traitors. And then all of a sudden, you get to mop the floor with these pitiful peons and use some awesome abilities knowing that you had a long rest ahead of you. You could just use all your highest level spell slots and destroy people in inferno fire. And you make a great point. I, I was able to test out my new abilities in a way that wasn't like, I'm going to die if this goes poorly because I'm up <laughs> against a dragon. Yeah. Like you can play around a lot more with your character's abilities in those kind of fights. And then, you know, on your next encounter, you just keep tweaking and try again. Yeah. Not the end of the world. Throw something big at him. So what about not enough info for the party to make fun decisions or informed decisions? Why? Well, find myself falling into this trap all the time and it's the curse of knowledge i think it's called is when you think others know what you know <laughs> and you're just sitting there holding on to it so always just be ready to to dole out more information in any way you need to because that'll get them thinking and moving the plot forward i think it's important to do this even in the introduction to a game like, even if you're planning a, a sandbox game where the players are going to be able to go anywhere and do anything, you kind of need to give them some kind of a starting point. Because I've attempted this a few times where I just say, okay, you're in a space. You're in a tavern. You're in a, a party. What do you do? <laughs> I don't know yet. Like, what? I don't... Um, give me a little more. Yeah. yeah. Like, every party I've attempted this with has needed more than that to get moving and get the story cooking. And this also happens when you've got like a mystery or a puzzle and things are starting to drag. Well, just start trying to pepper in more clues. Give them more information. Nine times out of ten, this results in a happy party because they're actually playing the game again. They're not just sitting there scratching their heads. And this goes back to the whole breaking the realism thing. But whenever the party is missing information, an NPC comes along who seems a little interesting. If you say... An NPC who is an elf who has an eye patch. Wait, they have an eye patch? That must mean that they're important. <laughs> I will talk to that NPC. You've described them in more detail than just saying an elf walks by. Therefore, they must be here for a purpose. Therefore, I will ask them what's going on, how they're doing. I'll ask them a few questions. And then that NPC knows exactly what the players need to know to move forward. Yeah. And... Who knows how they know that? Their uncle told them they read it in an old book. They saw it <laughs> scrawled on the walls of a bathroom. Who cares? You can make up anything at that point. I guarantee that the players, feeling that sense of, oh, cool, now we have direction, will override the, wait, how did they know that in the first place? Like, they're not going to nitpick this. Yeah. They're just going to move along with the story. And if they do, just laugh it off. You know, keep things rolling. A really important point that came up in our Discord was you've made the mistake of making the party secondary characters to your super badass NPCs. And this starts happening when you have an idea for a character in your head as the dungeon master and it starts to become so cool that you realize they should maybe even become a part of the party. And since you're the DM, you can do that. You're all powerful. So you put them in and you start having them drive the plot. And then everyone's just watching you play with yourself. Rough. <laughs> Not fun. So 
Resist the urge to do this. Always make sure you're making the players the heroes. And if you're going to make a really cool character, have them support the party. Never outshine them. Well, and I think you could also undo this very quickly and easily by undermining that character. Their abilities and their coolness is all a facade. Ooh. They start screwing up royally. <laughs> you make them the laughing stock of the party, and now the party feels way more powerful. This person was somebody who was exuding all of these qualities, but it turns out they couldn't back up any of them. Nice. Yeah, that'll satisfy the hell out of somebody. All right, so the last one, you've put together a group that likes very different games. This one's a tough one for me. It's painful. And it's another huge reason that we talk about the session zero so much. It has to be a solid session where expectations are communicated and agreed on. Yeah. The game style, what kind of challenges you want, how much combat versus how much uh, role-playing you really want in the game has to be communicated from the get-go so that you can weed out any players who might realize that this is just not the game for them. You can allow them and afford them the opportunity to self-select and say, you know what, this isn't the game for me, or they reconcile and go, this is the game I'm happy to put up with what is a five-to-one vote for the type of game that we want to play. It's up to them. And... Yeah, there's really no tricky solutions. If you do find yourself in this situation, you're just going to have to have a straight up chat with them and either part ways or find a way for them to not be bummed all the time in this game. I really don't know if there is a question that is asked more on social media than this player really isn't jiving with the group, yeah. whether it's a problem player or they just don't like the style of the game or they're just trying to do something different. This is one of those... Things that transcends D&D &D, and it Holy. becomes just have a sit down conversation and go, what do you want from this game? And this is what the majority of players want. And maybe this isn't the game for you. We don't have to stop being friends. Uh, I can tell you that I've had to have this conversation before with some friends. It is rough. It's not a fun time, but it's all the better for it. And very similarly to my challenge earlier, try this. If it ever happens to you, try it. And I promise you that it will come out much better than you anticipated. It might not always be great, but it will be better than you thought it would be of, we're not friends anymore and I divorce you yeah. and I'm going to key your car. It doesn't have to be that way and it usually isn't. But I think it's the most commonly asked question because everyone's looking for an easy answer and there just isn't one. No. Just got to have it. All right, so we didn't give all brilliant tips. <laughs> Ending on a down note. That's... There's some problems <laughs> that just cannot be fixed in the game. You just have to have a conversation and fix it. To recap, first step, get everyone on the same page about the game you're playing. The second step, determine if you've actually made a mistake or it's something you can adjust on the fly. And the third step, undo the negative effect. Well, fine then. Let's not end on a downer. Let's go to an upper of... Do some drugs. No, Jesus. That escalated very quickly. I was going to say, let's go to the Temple of Inspired Hands where we can talk about a really cool new RPG that Jordan and I are stoked on. This is the Temple of Inspired Hands where amazing products and revolutionary ideas are brought to light. 
Okay, so you're our resident Kickstart finder. (laughs) I've got a problem, all right? I browse Kickstarter a lot. There's some cool shit. And what I hate most about it is that, oh my God, this is so cool. I love this. I wish this was a real product. Hell yes, it should be. I'm going to back it. One year later. (laughs) Yeah. It's so, I'm going to give money now for a product that I don't get for another year. Damn it. It's almost like a present when it finally does arrive. You've completely forgotten about it. Well, here's the kicker. So you either have about 10 days upon the release of this episode to back this, or you can check back in in a year when it actually becomes a real product. But Shiver on Kickstarter is so freaking cool. So if I'm correct, it's a a new system. A completely standalone tabletop role-playing game, right? Yep. And what's it about? Well, you and I love us some horror. Indeed. And horror systems and ways of playing uh, tense, scary games. Well, Shiver aims to answer that question. And I'll tell you what I love most about it. And it's only because uh, maybe there's a little bit of ego in here. (laughs) But I feel like Shiver supports a lot of the points that we've made in the past. Ooh. So let's start with horror. The cool thing about this system is that it's mega flexible. You can download the primer, you know, the quick start guide. And it's a very, very flexible system that can take place in any timeline, any setting, anything you want to do, it has rules for. Wow. So theoretically, you could even run it in a very D&D world. You could run it in a D&D world. You could run it in a modern world with shotguns trying to take out a Jason-like character. You could basically make a spacefaring one where you're Ripley taking out the aliens. Whatever genre you want to do, Shiver will support. Cool. It's already funded, so it's going to be a thing. And why it came to my attention and why it resonated so deeply with me is that the system uses archetype roles. So Let's go through a couple of them to give you an idea as to what I mean. We have used this concept before. Think of any horror movie that you've ever watched in the past. You've got the warrior. Sometimes sheer athleticism and brute force are the edges you need to escape or fight your way free. You gotta stand behind that character for sure. You've got the maverick. From dashing spies to roguish rebels, they possess an array of specialist skills that may fall outside the realms of normality. The smart one. You've got the smart one. You've got the socialite. You've got the fool. The like the quippy, dopey. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe very lucky. Nice. Oh, I love it. That's despite me. themselves, the comic relief, and then you've got the weird. Uh, this is like basically eleven. from Stranger Things. And then you've got the survivor. So there's there's these different archetypes, but that doesn't necessarily denote their class. And what you and I have talked about a lot is just play into your role. Yeah. Whatever your role is, you can be a rogue, but also be the weird. You can be the fool and be the rogue. You could be a rogue and be the socialite. You can play any one of these roles, but every one of them is kind of represented in the game. So that makes role-playing that much easier. Totally. Gives you direction. Very cool. The other thing that I really am looking forward to about this game is a doom clock mechanic. And the doom clock mechanic, from what I can tell of this particular rule set, is basically to see how dangerous things are getting 
to force the slow build of stress and horror that we talked about in a lot of our horror-themed episodes. Yeah. So how to slowly build. Horror is all about this slow and subtle creep towards doom. And that tension is what makes a horror game work. Yeah. And they have built this into a mechanic that I'm really excited to see play out. I love the concept of a visual representation of that. I yes. think that's powerful in a game. 100%. And speaking of the visual, they have a killer team on this art. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, I just urge you to go and check out the Shiver Kickstarter. Um, in case it needs to be said, like, we don't get, like, this isn't a sponsorship <laughs> spot. Not I'm wondering all. if that's ever been questioned. No, we're not getting anything from Shiver to to talk about this. We just like talking about cool shit we see. It's very exciting. I really want to play this system. Uh, it has totally hooked me. Um, we backed him. I'll give it a chance. Maybe uh, you want to as well. So it's on Kickstarter right now. Uh, upon the release of this episode, you got about 10 days to back them. It is funded. It's happening. You might as well get on the train and play a killer new game. Yeah. Well, I guess that's all we have. I hope we've helped. I ran out of shit to talk about for once. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. I mean, we could keep going, but for your sanity, uh, we're going to wrap it up. Hopefully you took something away from making mistakes and you can be a little more confident in your games. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Check out our Patreon. Join us for some of our Patreon chats. Join us on our Discord because it would be great to have you uh, to talk about what's going on in your game. Uh, We actually just finished a really cool session last night. It was one of our best ones so far uh, where we just sat down with some of the folks on our Discord. Uh, We have our Discord open chats and then we have our patron exclusive chats. And both we just aim to bring a really specific hey, I've got this challenge right now. And that's the thing about DMing or being a player is that you can't always openly talk about the stuff that is happening in your game or the direction that you want your character to go or the direction you want your story to go with the other people that know about this stuff and have the context. So it's always great to join a group of of people that you can bounce ideas off of. And man, there's some brilliant minds that are hanging out on our discord i love the perspectives we get there and yeah we want your perspective as well and you can also contribute to the show because we often pilfer brilliant ideas that we see there (laughs) with attribution yes we do hey and another thing before we go if you've enjoyed this show try writing a review just hop onto that uh that old apple podcast but it takes too much time, I say. <sighs> We'd appreciate it. We absolutely would. So much of our heart and soul and any other organs. Duh. Gross. <laughs> Sticky. Yeah. Not okay. Uh, but absolutely, hop on there, share a review, share your thoughts on the show. It really helps us grow. It really helps for the visibility of the show, but also what helps with the visibility is you just telling a friend at the table saying, hey, (laughs) maybe we can all learn together. Yeah. Maybe this can help you in your mistakes. Don't call someone (laughs) out on their mistakes. (laughs) Hey, you've really (laughs) fucked up, and I want you to fix it by listening to this episode. Don't do that. But do follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Reddit if you feel like it. 
You can also check out Tabletop Audio, which is where we get all of the sound effects for this episode. So thank you to them. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and play great game. game. <laughs> Fucked it up. And nay, eight mains. Nope. Flay. I know you're doing this on purpose, <laughs> just to annoy me. I'll never say it. <laughs>